Matthew 11, I want you to notice again tonight, it says in verse 21 of this text, the Lord brings to mind an Old Testament city that by the time of Christ had long since disappeared, not only from the earth, but from most people's memories, of course. Verse 21, woe unto the Chorazin, woe unto the Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre, in Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, the fact that our Lord would refer here to a city that was once judged by God and severely so, it might not seem all that significant, all that earth-shaking, certainly not for anyone who did not know the history of especially the city of Tyre. The Lord, as you know, grew up and he lived most of his entire life in the northern region of Galilee, in a place called Nazareth. It wasn't very far, obviously, from either Tyre or Sidon along the coast. And so by his own personal experience alone, the Lord Jesus would have a different, a little bit of a different perspective on these ancient and once great cities. And of course, what Jesus uh, pointed to and pointed his listeners to in this text was a clear example of God's word, God's prophecies, and God's power. Tyre, you see, no longer existed. And everybody who was listening to the Lord at that moment when it says he upbraided Uh, their cities, everyone who heard him knew that it no longer existed. The same was true for another city he mentions along that line, verse 23. And thou Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, thou shalt be brought down to hell. Wow, these are strong words that Jesus is preaching against the city. He could just as well preach it against Jupiter. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, It, Sodom, would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now, why Sodom? Why does he mention that city? Because, again, Sodom is gone. And, of course, the very fact that that Christ, that the Lord Jesus, affirms God's judgment on the ancient city of Tyre is enough for skeptics and unbelievers to find a way to attack and thus to attempt to discredit whatever it is that Tyre as a city represents. The same thing is true for Sodom. By the way, for other miracles in the Bible, most especially, for example, Jonah. Do you ever wonder why the story of Jonah, above all the other miracles in the Old Testament, the story of Jonah is no more miraculous and amazing than the crossing of the Red Sea and so forth. But that story, above all others, is mocked and ridiculed by scorners and humanists. Why? It's very simple. Jesus affirmed the story of Jonah. And even further, he used it as a picture of his own resurrection. As Jonah was three days, Jesus said, in the belly of the whale. In other words, you discredit the resurrection of Jonah, and then you discredit the resurrection of Christ. Discredit Tyre, and you discredit the Word of God and the very deity of Christ. And sure enough, predictable, There are all kinds of fringe websites. There are all kinds of books and little pamphlets. Most of them are obscure these days that go to great lengths to answer and address the truth and the history and the reality of an ancient city-state called Tyre. I've read them. At least I've read many of them. And it's one of those things where you come away saying, wow, if that's their so-called evidence, if that is their argument why the Bible is mistaken or wrong, it's even more clear 
that what they're fighting is true. You say, well, what are they fighting, Pastor? Well, beloved, what they're fighting to destroy and trying to destroy is the singular evidence that God endorses as that which in- increases one's faith in the Word of God. What is that? Fulfilled prophecy. I want you to notice on the screen a few scriptures with me. John chapter 13 and verse 19. These are vital that you know and understand. The words of Jesus. Now, I tell you, Jesus said, before it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am He. What's He saying? He's simply saying, look, I'm telling you people what's going to happen so that when it happens, you disciples will increase your faith. You'll learn to believe. John chapter 14. You may want to turn. You can look at the screen if you will. And it says in verse 29, And now I have told you, here it is, before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. See the pattern? God gives a prophecy so that when the prophecy is fulfilled, you will learn to believe the Word of God. Now look at Isaiah chapter 41. Listen to these verses very, very carefully because this is where God throws down the gauntlet to the people of the world. Isaiah 41, verse 2021. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth, verse 22, and let us and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. Show us the things that are come hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods. Again, you see the pattern, right? Same chapter, now verse 26. Who hath declared from the beginning that we may know? And before time that we may say he is righteous, yea, there is none that showeth, yea, there is none that declareth, yea, there is none that heareth your words. He's talking about idols and the fact that these false gods cannot and do not know the future. And they don't declare the future before it happens, but God says, I do. Chapter 42 and verse 9, finally. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Now, folks, we could go on and on tonight. In fact, I've got a whole list of other scriptures that I did not send to the guys. But you get the point. Jesus said this on the road to Emmaus when he saw the disciples that were sad. It was after the resurrection. They should have been glad. And Jesus looked at them and he said, oh, fools. Hmm. That's strong. You young people know it's strong. I taught it in Sunday school this morning. O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. God's prophetic word is so precise, it is so powerful, it is so irrefutable that only a fool would even be slow to believe what it says. Including, in particular, the event that our Lord himself brings up about the city of Tyre. In Ezekiel 26, I hope you'll turn there very quickly. Ezekiel chapter 26, I wonder how many of you here tonight have ever read along, you've been reading in your Bibles. You come to a text like Ezekiel 26. And you know, you just wonder, is there anything in there for me? I mean, it's true that God pronounced a curse, a judgment on the great Phoenician city 2,500 years ago. But, but, you know, what does that have to do with your spiritual life in Jupiter, Florida in 2023? And the answer, beloved, is that it has everything to do with it and that it has everything to do with your faith. 
In fact, sometimes the greatest gems, the purest nuggets of gold, they don't lie there on the surface of the Scriptures for you just to reach out and grab and put on Pinterest. Sometimes they are treasures that take a little digging, a little mining and effort to find. And that is especially true when it comes to certain Old Testament prophecies. And beloved, it's because of that that, as I said earlier, I hope that you will try to focus your heart for the next few moments on this Scripture. This is a text that gives an amazing prophecy. According to Peter Stoner, the mathematician, the statistician, I read his book many years ago, it was a prediction that had a 1 in 100 billion chance of being fulfilled. And those are the odds of, that don't even include all of the prophetic details. Let's look at it. Jesus mentioned this city, right? And the prophecy. Verse 1, it came to pass in the 11th year of the first day of the month that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, because that Tyrus, that's Tyre, the leader of it, hath said against Jerusalem, Aha, she is broken. That was the gates of the people. She is turned unto me. I shall be replenished now. She is laid waste. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Tyrus. In other words, because of Tyre's pride, because of the city's gloating over the destruction of Jerusalem and over their own violence, by the way, God was going to see to it that his hand of protection would be lifted from those people and lifted from that city, that the city would indeed fall. It's not a crazy or absurd prediction at all. In fact, it's not even a particularly difficult prediction. Even though Tyre was, at one time, the New York City, it was the London, if you will, of the world of its day. I remind you, as some of you know, that Tyre was a great coastal city on the Mediterranean. It basically ruled all of the sea routes in ancient Phoenicia. Tyre essentially controlled and dominated the commercial trade for hundreds and hundreds of years through various empires. And again, it was the undisputed powerhouse of merchandise, primarily because of its location right there on the Mediterranean Sea. With that in mind, I want you to see the prophecy. And I want you to notice the language God used to describe the destruction of this heathen seaport and this island. Verse 3, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Tyrus, and will cause many nations to come up against thee, as the sea causeth his waves to come up. In other words, God uses the image of a violent ocean storm, one that pushes these destructive waves. One wave comes and another wave comes after it, one against another. In this case, what's on the shore is this great city called Tyre. And what did it say in verse 3? Many attacks will come up against thee. In other words, not just one wave, but many waves. And then it goes on in the text to describe exactly these waves with, with certain details, how it's going to occur. Now look at verse 4. Again, please focus your hearts. And they, the waves, the nations, the peoples, shall destroy the walls of Tyrus and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God, and it shall become a spoil to the nations. Now, folks, follow this carefully. This is a prophecy. This is a prophecy that would not occur for many, 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 many years. 
And according to God's prediction, attacking these attacks would come someday against Tyre in waves. And do what? Well, basically, here's what he said. Number one, the walls and the towers will be reduced to rubble. Number two, the city itself will be scraped and look like the top of a rock. Number three, it would become essentially a fishing colony where fishermen would simply come and spread their nets over those rocks. Bear in mind, fishermen like to use barren rocks to spread their nets for mending and for drying of those nets. The flatter the rock, the better, the less chance of them getting tangled in trees and so forth. It's a strange prophecy, perhaps, but notice he repeats it exactly in verse 14. And I will make thee like the top of a rock. Thou shalt be a place to spread nets upon. Thou shalt be built no more. That's important. For I, the Lord, have spoken it, saith the Lord God. This is a promise. This is a prophecy. The Lord Jesus refers to it in his own ministry. And so now we see there's a fourth thing that's added to it that God predicts, and that is once the city is destroyed, once the city is scraped down and it looks like the top of a rock, he says it'll never be built again other than to be a place for a colony of fishermen. Verse 21, I will make thee a terror, and thou shalt be no more. Though thou be sought for, yet shalt thou never be found again, saith the Lord God. Let me just say this, that prediction is extremely unlikely and extremely difficult, humanly speaking. And the reason why it is, is obvious. Tyre was built in the first place because of its perfect, ideal location. In other words, look, if you predicted that San Francisco or New York or Tokyo would be destroyed, that's one thing. Any great city could be destroyed, especially today with nuclear warfare. However, due to all of those places and their locations, those cities you know would someday be rebuilt. If San Francisco was flattened by an earthquake, it would be rebuilt. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what happened in 1906. It was completely destroyed with an earthquake and a fire, and it was rebuilt. Today, San Francisco is being destroyed by lunatics, as we all know. So God's given them these four specific details of Tyre's destruction. Now he includes a fifth, verse 7. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will bring upon Tyrus Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. This is specific. The king of kings from the north with horses and with chariots and with horsemen and companies and much people. He shall slay with the sword thy daughters in the field, and he shall make a fort against thee and cast a mount against thee and lift up the buckler against thee. God is going to lift his hand. You know what? All God has to do to judge America is just lift his hand of protection. And someday he might. God says that the first wave, if you will, remember the prophecy of this waves of a sea, that the first wave of attack that's coming against you will be specifically from Nebuchadnezzar and that his attack would be a siege. Verse 8 describes a fort against Tyre, which is essentially a permanent camp from which they continually, constantly attack. By the way, and this is notable, Notice how careful the Scripture is when describing this process of judgment. Verse 8, you see the word he, that's Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 9, he. Verse 10, his horses. Verse 11, 
his horses. You notice, always in the singular, referring to one king representing one nation. But notice the language changes in verse 12. And they, they shall make a spoil of thy riches, and they shall break down thy walls, and they shall lay thy stones. God is very specific here to say that Tyre's destruction would begin with one wave, one man, Babylon, but would continue with other nations as they also come against it. So, now we have five or six specific details about the destruction of the great super commercial city of Tyre. The question is, did it happen? Or maybe more specifically, how accurate? How closely was this prophecy fulfilled? Let's start with the first prediction, which was that Nebuchadnezzar would attack and then siege the city. I'm not going to belabor you with this because everybody here has access to libraries and you can go online and read it. But earlier this week, I went on Wikipedia. Wikipedia, why? I know you're not supposed to use it, kids, in school, but it's easy. That's why I used it. Here's Wikipedia. Nebuchadnezzar, I just typed in, you know, uh, the destruction of Tyre. Nebuchadnezzar II, king of Babylon, laid siege to Tyre, a wealthy Phoenician city in 586 B.C. The siege lasted for 13 years. Despite the lengthy siege, Tyre held out and Nebuchadnezzar was able to conquer the city. The city's resistance was due to its strong fortifications and naval power as well as support from other neighboring cities. The inhabitants fled to the nearby island off the coast for safety. And it goes on and on and on. It describes the utter, almost utter destruction of the city at the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. You know, Rick introduced me to ChatGPT the other day. It came out in November. It's AI. It's an excellent way for you young people to cheat in school and have it write essays for you that are original. But you didn't hear that from me. Anyway, anyway I also cheat because I asked it a question. It's AI. It's artificial intelligence. It was started with billions of dollars by Elon. And I asked it, is there a prophecy about the destruction of Tyre? And it said this, yes, the siege of Tyre was prophesied by the prophet Ezekiel in the Bible, according to Ezekiel 26. It proclaims that Nebuchadnezzar would lay siege to Tyre as a punishment for its pride and prosperity. The prophecy also stated the city would be destroyed and become a place for spreading a fisherman's nets. This, I didn't, this, is, this is AI, okay, allegedly AI saying it. But I think it's safe to say that history has shown that the first part of this prophecy was fulfilled. But again... It's not that unlikely. Considering the ancient climate, the kind of man Nebuchadnezzar was. However, keep reading. If you read sometime what I've read in the last few weeks about this ancient city-state, you will find that Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to the city, and when he cast that fort, the same fort that we understand right here in the Scripture in the precise way Ezekiel said, that he destroyed it as far as he could which leads us to the description God gives us in verse 12. And they, notice they, this is another wave, shall make a spoil of thy riches and make a prey of thy merchandise. And they shall break down thy walls and destroy thy pleasant houses. And they shall lay thy stones and thy timber and thy dust in the midst of the water. What does that mean? They are going to come in, take the stones, take the dust, take it all, and, quote, lay it in the midst of the water. The reason why Nebuchadnezzar broke the walls, laid the stones and timbers flat, and the Bible says, and Wikipedia says, left the city in rubble, is that when they finally broke through the walls, most of the city leaders and the majority of the people were already gone. We just read why 
um, as history records it. Where did they go? They fled to that little island that we read about, that I read to you, three-quarters of a mile off of the coast. So that enraged, enraged, Nebuchadnezzar ordered the city to be turned into rubble. We're talking about the city on the coast at this point. You say, Pastor, why is that such a big deal? Two reasons. Number one, it began a prophecy, this prophecy, according to verse 12. But number two, it was that act by the first wave, it was that act by Nebuchadnezzar that enabled the prophecy of verse 14. Look at it with me. And I will make thee like the top of a rock. Thou shalt be a place to spread nets upon. Thou shalt be built no more. For I, the Lord, have spoken it, saith the Lord God. Now, folks, with that prophecy in mind, let me read to you what I googled also in Wikipedia and Worldbook. Alexander the Great attacked Tyre in 332 B.C. Remember that date. During his conquest of the Persian Empire, Tyre was a wealthy, powerful Phoenician city-state located on an island off the coast of modern-day Lebanon by that time. Alexander's army had already conquered much of the Persian Empire, and Tyre, as a major Phoenician port, posed a threat to his control of the eastern Mediterranean. Despite the city's strong fortifications and naval power, Alexander was determined to take it. Alexander's forces laid siege to Tyre for seven months. They built a causeway from the mainland to the island, which allowed his army to reach the walls of the city. The Tyrians defended the city by attacking Alexander's army with stones and arrows from battlements and burning the causeway, but Alexander's army was able to rebuild it and rebuild it, essentially breaching the walls. The city was sacked. His inhabitants were killed and taken captive. Alexander is said to have executed two thousand Tyrian prisoners sold 30,000 as slaves. The city's walls and buildings were utterly destroyed, and Alexander ordered the ruins to be used as a foundation for a new city, which he named Alexandria. Now, wait a minute. Hear this carefully. Nebuchadnezzar attacked Tyre in 573 B.C. Alexander the Great didn't come until 332 B.C., That means that Alexander's attack, his wave, if you will, was 241 years after Babylon. That's as long as our nation, America, has even existed. And the reason why this is so important is that unbelieving scholars used to say that that Ezekiel guessed about Nebuchadnezzar's attack, and then he wrote about it afterwards and predated the prophecy about 30 years. In other words, he lied. He pretended like it was a prediction, but he was writing it looking backwards. Well, folks, you can't wait. A human being can't wait 241 years for something to take place and then predate it, can he? This is exactly why Alexander the Great is so important to this text. Why? Because when Alexander came to the city of Tyre, and when he saw these people hiding safely out there on the island and he knew the history of Nebuchadnezzar, he was incensed. And guess what he did? You see, Pastor, he built... A causeway. You just read it from that 100% reliable source, Wikipedia. He built a causeway and he connected the mainland to the island so that his soldiers could cross over and kill them all. And that's true. But do you know or do you remember how he did it? First, he completed the destruction that the others had started. And then he took all of the rubble Literally all of it, 
from the old city walls, even the rubble that Nebuchadnezzar put there. He took the towers and all that rubble, all the Nebuchadnezzar's debris, and he used it as construction material. I remember years ago watching on Discovery Channel this wonderful documentary about Alexander, a series, and then his engineers. They designed these huge pilings out of cedar, the cedars of Lebanon. Now imagine, imagine the effort that this would take and the ingenuity. He took these giant pilings, if you will, and he drove them into the seabed. He did so in parallel columns all the way from the coast going to that well, all those people are hiding out that little island, almost three-quarters of a mile to the sea, this island fortress. And then taking all of the rubble, tons and tons and tons of rubble that was the city of Tyre on the coast, by boat and by ship, they just started tossing all of it between those cedar pilings. Day after day, after week, after week, after week. How would you like to have been a citizen of Tyre on that island, knowing the brutality of conquering empires like Alexander. And at first you see what they're doing, you think, they're crazy. That's never going to work. This is the ocean. You can't fill up the ocean. You might even laugh at the effort at first. But then after months of this, one day you walk out on your seawall and you look out and you see rocks that are above the water. And you think to yourself, we're all we're all going to die. Alexander's army was doing the impossible, and they have nowhere to go. So Alexander takes all of this debris. He casts it into the sea. Isn't that what we just read that God promised and prophesied would happen? I'll remind you that Alexander was a young man, and as far as he was concerned, he had two things. He had a lot of soldiers, and he thought he had a lot of time. He never let anything get in his way. So that literally Alexander's men scraped every rock, every boulder, every brick, every pebble, every speck of dust from the old city and threw it into the sea. I want to read another historian's account of Tyre's destruction. Listen to this one and be patient. He says, quote, the number of granite columns that lie in the sea today is surprising. The eastern wall of the inner harbor is entirely founded upon them, and they are thickly spread over the bottom of the sea on every side. Tyre must have been a city of columns and temples par excellence. Should anyone ask incredulously where the stones of ancient Tyre, they are found spread over the causeway of Alexander in her choked up harbor at the bottom of the sea. Alexander's attack was successful, and Tyrian sea power was destroyed forever. No longer did her fleet dominate the seas. No longer were her praises sung in the marts of the ancient world. As a nation, she disappeared, never to rise again. The causeway built by Alexander still connects Tyre's one-time one time island fortress with the mainland, but so much completely has every vestige of the original city disappeared that its position can only be ascertained by the distance measured from the ruins of the fortress. The mighty city of ancient Tyre was completely erased and so decimated that the only use of that great harbor today is using its rocks as a drying place for nets. The prophecy of Ezekiel centuries ago. I once received a brochure in the mail. We pastors get all these brochures about taking lands, trips to the Holy Land and uh, Mediterranean cruises and so forth. 
This was for a cruise on the Mediterranean. And obviously he had lots of pictures, all the points of interest, Ephesus and Alexandria and so forth. And the one that interested him the most as far as a picture was a picture with a caption that said, visit the site of the ancient city of Tyre. And you know what the picture was? It was the picture of a fisherman drying his nets on a flat rock. You know, if you wanted to disprove the Bible, contradict the Word of God, all you have to do is go out and rebuild the great empire city of Tyre. It's a great piece of real estate. So just get the project going. Talk to the Lebanese government and see if you can't rebuild Tyre. But I'll tell you what, if it ever does get going, I'm not going to invest any money in it. Not a penny. A city of Tyre project would be the worst place to invest your money. In fact, had I lived in Tyre in those days, back when Ezekiel, I would have listened to that prophet and gotten out of there, right? Because his word is true. Al Gore says that the oceans are rising, but he buys a house in Malibu on the ocean. His word is not true. The word of God is true. One of the comments when I read the world book that you can now find online was it because the assaults were wave after wave, they didn't use the word wave, but because the assaults kept, kept coming here and here and here, Tyre simply never had the chance to be rebuilt. One of the oldest references about Tyre that I could find from these libraries came from a book that was written by an English traveler, and he was just writing his own notes, and in 1886, in his journal, here's what he wrote. The island as such is not more than a mile in length. The part which projects south beyond the isthmus is perhaps a quarter of a mile. It is rocky and uneven. It is now unoccupied, except by fishermen where they spread their nets. In other words, if he had a camera 130 years ago, 40 years ago, and could have taken the picture for the brochure that I got re recently, it could have been the exact same picture. So that really 2,500 years ago, a prophecy was made that continues to be fulfilled to this very day. Which brings me tonight to some crucial closing comments. You see, folks, God did not destroy this city just to prove that he knows the future. God did not give this prophecy just so that he could destroy Tyre. God had a reason for it. This was a vile people and a vile city. And he had a greater reason to predict and then record that prediction. I want you to notice the last part, first of all, of verse 16. It says, They shall clothe themselves with trembling. They shall sit upon the ground and shall tremble at every moment and be astonished at thee. At who? At Tyre. They shall take up a lamentation for thee and say to thee, How art thou destroyed? Thou was inhabited by seafaring men, the renowned city. Down in verse 21, as we read earlier, I will make thee a terror, and thou shalt be no more, though thou be sought for. Yet shalt thou never be found again, saith the Lord God. In other words, look. God's judgment on this city, on the great, mighty, powerful city, prideful city of Tyre, is meant to be, through the ages, to this day, as Jesus pointed to it himself, a constant reminder of the power of God, of the holiness of God, of the omniscience of God and of the grace of God. The grace of God? Yes. Remember again what Jesus said in the book of Matthew about Tyre. Why of all the Gentile cities, why of all of those that God could have chosen 
Did Jesus include this ancient city using Tyre as an example of God's judgment to those people in that region of Galilee by Capernaum and Chorazin and those places? Why use this city? It's very simple. Jesus knew the Bible. He wrote the Bible. And all of the people that saw his miracles and still did not believe the word of God, all that they ever had to do, even without his miracles, was walk 40 miles from those cities in Galilee to the coast of the Mediterranean. And they could see with their very own eyes the wickedness and the rebellion of people is judged. And they would see that God's word is true. Always. Absolutely true. In other words, those cities on the Sea of Galilee, the ones that you read with Brother Andy a moment ago, Bethsaida, Chorazin. They didn't even need the miracles of Jesus. They didn't need the mighty works of Christ in order to believe the Word of God or believe that He was sent from God. They had all they needed in the Word of God itself to continue and keep on believing that this book is true. You know what's amazing to me? Most people in the world today don't even know that a city called Tyre ever existed. If it was on a Jeopardy question, those brainheads might get it. But most people, they don't even know it ever existed. If I were to tell you that, Ro- that New York City is going to be destroyed and it will never be rebuilt again, and one day people won't even know that it existed, you would think that's crazy. And the people in the days of Tyre thought this was crazy. Carthage, one of Rome's enemies at one time, was a mere colony of Tyre. So the Tyre used to be extremely wealthy, full of pride, full of power, dominated the world of trade. But so complete was its destruction, exactly as the prophet said, that people today don't know and don't care that it ever existed. And today, as the blue waters of the Mediterranean wash over the flat ruins of Tyre, It just puts an exclamation mark on the book of Ezekiel, but more importantly, on the entire Word of God. It shows that God is the one who guides the the destiny of nations. It shows that God has a purpose that is coming to fruition. It shows that the Bible is the inspired and infallible and perfect Word of God. And as such, it's supposed to comfort our hearts. Because if God's promises and prophecies about a heathen city would come true, all the way down to every detail, can you not trust his promises and his prophecies where he promises to come again? Are you doubting his coming again? His promises that he said, I go to prepare a place for you where all of our saved loved ones are that have passed on. Can you not trust that promise as well? His promises to hear and answer your prayer. His promise that Christ will rule and reign on this earth. Oh, Pastor, President Biden, Joe Biden, what about him? What about him? Look. We have the Word of God. I said a moment ago that when Jesus gave those words, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, He was speaking to Christians when He said, You're foolish. He was speaking to believers who were downhearted, downcast, weeping because, Oh no, now what do we do? Jesus is dead. And Jesus said, Fools, 
Believe the word of God. All they had to do was believe the word of Jesus. In three days, I will rise again. And I say to us tonight, we're fools if we're just slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written. And God's people said, our heads are bowed, please. Our eyes are closed. I wonder who'd say tonight, Pastor Blalock, I'm saved by God's grace. I'm a Christian. But I needed this reminder. Look, (laughs) anytime and every time we doubt about anything in this world, even in our own lives, it's kind of foolish. It's kind of foolish in the light of God's word and all of his promises. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is not worthy to compare with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So if the glory that shall be revealed is true, and it is, we should see whatever we have as a light affliction. It's faith, but it's real. Pastor, I'm saved tonight, but God used the word of God tonight and spoken to my heart about something I need. Who would say that with uplifted hands through the room? And God bless you, and amen, and amen. No wonder the Bible says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. No wonder the Bible says, do not envy the wicked. He shows us, he's put in his word, examples like the great mighty city of Tyre, the New York City. And he's shown us that he's on his throne and that his word is true. If you're not saved, may we pray for you. I'm not sure that I'm saved, Pastor Blaylock. I'm not sure that if I died, I'd be in heaven. But I want to be sure. Is there someone like that tonight? Would you just raise it up high so I can see it? Not sure that you're saved tonight, all right? We're going to pray and, as always, have a time of invitation. If God has spoken to your heart, I hope you obey his voice. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that we hold in our hands today your word. We are thankful, Father, that we know that it's trustworthy, all of it. You have said in your word over and over again that the reason why you say things before they happen is so that when they do happen, we believe that we see Hundreds of prophecies, Lord, about Jesus' first coming. Hundreds more about His second coming. We've seen the first ones all fulfilled to the minutest detail. We've seen Old Testament prophecies like the destruction of Tyre to the minutest detail. I pray, God, that it will increase our faith. We believe, help thou our unbelief. Bless your people to that end, please, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.